to Let's Talk Tri-Delta, a podcast brought to you by Tri-Delta. In this podcast, we can dive deeper into some of the most powerful stories from our award-winning magazine, The Trident, and we can get up close and personal with some of our brave, bold, and kind members. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's talk Tri-Delta. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Tri-Delta. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen White, Tridelta's CEO and Editor-in-Chief of the Trident Magazine. Today, we're ta- tackling a topic that has been really paramount for the Tridelta membership experience, and that's preparing our sisters for life after college, career, family, community service. Recently, we rebranded a number of programs under the topic called Life After College, and it's a series of programs that's designed to help launch our members from college to career, family, or service by providing tools and resources for them to confidently navigate this exciting but often stressful transition in life. This program um, is available thanks in part to mentorship from our amazing alumni, generous gifts from the Tri-Delta Foundation, and an outstanding partnership with a truly esteemed organization, the American Association of University of Women. I'm excited today to introduce a special guest. Um, Joining us remotely is Kimberly Churches. She is the CEO for the American Association of University Women, AAUW. They are a leading voice in advancing equity for women and girls through research, advocacy, and education. Welcome, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to start asking you a bit about your background and how it is that you landed at AAUW. So tell us where you come from and, and what you've done. Sure. Well, first off, it's just an honor for AAUW to uh, partner with Tri-Delta as well. Um, being a, a sorority gal myself and having spent so much of my career on university campuses and in nonprofit organizations, um, I really have seen firsthand what women are facing as they're on campus and as they leave campus and go into the workforce. And so I think these types of partnerships are really key to help to create the solutions for the future. But for my own career, yeah, I was a high school English teacher and journalism teacher. Oh, and- my. Sure. <laughs> Uh, and then moved into nonprofit organizations, more on the educational side, the development and fundraising side, and then moved on to academe and worked for a, a public university in the state of Florida and then for a private university in Colorado before being recruited and joining the Brookings Institution, a major um, public policy think tank here in Washington, D.C., uh, to help them as they thought about their focus and relevance and strategy for what, what a policy think tank should be, should be and be doing at a domestic and international level. Uh, And I was the managing director for there uh, before joining AEW about two and a half years ago. And I think this moment in time, um, not just of of understanding that there are real gender pay gap and leadership gaps that we see systemically in every part of our society, but what really got me about AEW is very much like my uh, past in academe as well as at Brookings is uh, we're still based in facts first. We believe in robust research and analysis and then coming up with the right advocacy programs um, and educational programs that can actually spur change. Um, we're not here just to rattle off statistics. We really want to get to what's um, in the belly and and be able to, to fix those issues so that all of us can thrive in society, but as AUW, particularly for women and girls. Well, I am so proud personally of this partnership. 
um, so like-minded in terms of our organizations, right? Your robust research, right, and fact-gathering um, really pairs up well with our evidence-based programming, right, as we really look to bring women along and offer them not only four years in college, right, of growth and development, but a lifetime of personal and professional growth and development, right, living, learning, leadership. Um, so this, to me, is just a marriage of good minds. Um, <laughs> Um, so from one sorority gal to the other, thank you. Yeah, thank partners. you. Thank you. So let's get into the meat of this, right? So I am astounded and um, and sad, right? And, and really probably mad um, that current research shows that the gender pay gap will not close until 2106. This is yeah. correct, right? You can validate this. Tell me about that. Yeah, it kind of sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? It does. Um, that it's not even possible. Right. Uh, and, and almost it can feel overwhelming. But look, there's um, a ton of good work happening. Um, one, I would say, as much as I'm grounded, uh, given my background, um, you know, in public policy as well, I really believe that the laws and policies have to be updated. When we think about the fact that the Equal Pay Act, a lot of our kind of civil and human rights were passed in the 1960s and early 70s. The Equal Pay Act in 1963, the Civil Rights Act, um, the America, uh, the, the Disabilities Act, um, uh, you know, uh, Voting Rights Act, these things, but we haven't updated them. And you and I are not sitting here in corduroy miniskirts with bouffant hairdos and pillbox hats on. <laughs> Uh, the world has changed since 1963. Just a wee bit. And we have to update. Our laws have to represent where we are today and tomorrow. That said, um, so we work um, really because we have 170,000 members and supporters in every congressional district. We're working at a grassroots level, so a municipal level. Um, a state and regional level and a federal level to make sure we're updating laws. So the good news on that 2106 um, date is that we're making real strides. You're seeing the gap starting to close in states like California and New York. Um, even there were only two states in the United States that did not have any new equal pay, uh, equal pay laws. They were Alabama and Mississippi, but just this year, just in 2019, Alabama passed a new statewide equal pay law. Um, so you're seeing traction at so many levels. And really that's because we all know this is not just about economic security for women. This is about economic security for families. Too many of our families are either uh, women are the head of the household or they're a dual income family. And so they need that support. And when women are underpaid and undervalued for their assets, it actually hurts families. Um, this is not just about women's rights. This is really family rights. Agreed. Could not agree more. Um, now, we know, right, policy and culture won't make the change happen any sooner, yeah. but you've made a brave and, and bold commitment as AAUW to train 10 million women yeah. um, around salary negotiation by 2022, yeah. right? I'm proud to say that we're going to be among those 10 yeah. million women, but tell me how you're approaching that goal. Sure. So we really look at closing the pay gap far before 2106 um, based Great on a lot of that. <laughs> so one is, you know, is laws and policies, as we've said. Um, two is really working directly with educational institutions and employers to help them to improve their practices and, and get out of this uh, 
bromance uh, and, and focus more to really kind of change the way their paradigms and make sure they're living their values and updating their practices. Um, and then third is really training women how to negotiate their own financial future. So we know overwhelmingly men and women both are negotiating at much higher rates, but I don't know about you. I never took a class in college on how to negotiate. I mean, my very first job, I was offered $18,000 a year and my entire negotiation was saying, thank you. You know, that was it. I was like Sally Field at the Oscars. You know, you like me? This is amazing. Great. Thank you. I think we had the same job. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I think understanding, uh, you know, really doing this from a market-based value side of understanding what your education, what your skills and assets bring and what that brings to the market you're in. So you're sitting in Dallas, I'm sitting in Washington, DC. We have different market values for different roles in different places. So understanding that and then being able to kind of counter bias and discrimination um, in a negotiation setting really sets women up to break down some of those barriers. That said, uh, where, where AUW was, we have really proven curriculum on negotiation. These are our skills uh, and assets in our curriculum that are grounded in reality and grounded in facts. But when I came to AUW, we were only training about 15,000, 16,000 women a year. Mm-hmm. Laudable, great, but you know, there's 330 million people in the United States. So we right. weren't even scratching an itch. Um, you know, it was like a little splinter on the body. And uh, so part of our strategic planning process was saying if we really believe in this, we need to get a little audacious and say, how can we really take this to scale and start to see meaningful impact at much, much greater numbers? And I'm really proud of the progress we've made in this first year. So we trained over 100,000 humans just this year alone, which is pretty amazing outstanding. So we are partnering with you all on two separate programs that are evidence-based, right? Really solid curriculum around helping women um, understand their worth and negotiate at that level. Um, On the collegiate front, as part of our Life After College series, we're partnering with you on Start Smart. And then at the alumni level, we're offering Work Smart. Can you tell us a little bit more about those programs? You got it. So Start Smart is really that idea of we want um, women on campuses before they graduate to start their careers with understanding their value, really understanding, again, where that uh, where their value is, what that degree is worth as they're seeking those jobs. So it's a course that they take while they're still an undergraduate. Um, but before they start to interview for those first jobs so that they're as prepared as they possibly can be. Work smart. Here's, here's one of the stunning stats. Women that have a bachelor's degree compared to their male counterparts one year after college, one year in the workforce are already earning 26% less than their male counterparts. And so, oh my. yeah, that's, that's frightening, isn't it? Well, so, and that's, you know, what occurs to me, that's, that's, even before the frontal lobe of the brain has fully formed. Um, And particularly in men, we see this research that extends that frontal lobe uh, development and formation almost all the way to the age of 27 or 28. Yet um, these guys, um, and I am mother to to two of them, um, (laughs) are earning 26% more than the women whose frontal lobes form a little more quickly. Just pointing that out, yep. right? Yep. Um, not to be con- controversial, just to kind of call it what it is, yep. right? And but we have, I think a lot of this though, and we have to remember this, the way workplaces were established, kind of the the practices, the the structures, the systems, the paradigm, it was from a different era, right? It was right. from an Ozzie and Harriet, leave it to beaver era of 
you and I would be at home with an, uh, a chicken in the oven and a scotch on the rocks waiting for our man to come home. Right. Uh, you know, he worked only nine to five and we'd hand him that drink. And so how the workplace was structured was for men. And so we have right. a lot of that work to do too around environments and culture. But because of that 26% one year after college, we also knew we had to have curriculum for working women, whether they were salaried or hourly, to make sure they could be prepared throughout their full life cycle of work. And I say that because as this compounds over time, women live longer than men as well. Right. So we're right. less prepared for retirement if we're not starting out early while we're on campus and then also continuing that, that negotiation skill building when you're in the workplace. So we want to make sure every time a woman is up for a promotion or for a new job that she's prepared to negotiate her own future. Could not agree more, right? Let's talk a little bit. Um, we, we talked earlier, which was great, right? Um, women have some pretty natural abilities, to build relationships, right? To connect with others. Um, do you feel we're using those sort of innate skills to our fullest advantage when it comes to our careers? Uh, 110% no. And <laughs> the reason I say that is not to say that um, we aren't superheroes because we are. We have levels of emotional intelligence, you know, that are proven. There's reams and reams of data and research you and I could go through that show clearly women have those abilities. Uh, that said, uh, some of the things that we teach in some of our other programs as well is we're very good at networking and building relationships, but too often women build relationships with women or men that are at their same level because it's a comfort level so that we end up just in kind of this little echo chamber rather right. than being it really fully intentional about how we can seek out stronger mentors and sponsors or advocates when we're not in the room in the workplace. So we really get behind that is, is teaching intentional networking skills. It's not enough just to go around a room and collect 30 business cards. It's who are you seeking out and why and what benefit can you bring them and what benefit can they bring you? And traditionally, men have just been better at that than women. They've put themselves in those situations. Um, and I think these are teachable skills so we can help women to still be women, uh, right. still be who they are, uh, not try and be men, but really learning some of those skills so that, so that they can continue to get ahead. So it's one of the things that we feel is a unique opportunity um, in, the, in the sorority world, right? Um, Tri-Delta has just under 240,000 members worldwide. Yeah. Right around 18,000 of them are current collegiate members, right? Which leaves the balance being alumni women who have a vested interest in the success of their sisters, regardless of what they decide to you know, pursue in life, right? So we have recently launched... Um, a, a, an app called Connect DDD um, and, and a platform by which our women can virtually network with one another. They can seek out mentorship, um, career advice, um, even virtual friendship, right? But what we're seeing sort of emerge on this platform is that connectedness around career and mentorship, right? You talk about mentorship and you talk about sponsorship. Can yeah. you help help our yeah. audience distinguish between those two? Because they're very different. They really are. So mentorship, you know, we're all pretty familiar with. You seek somebody out. You have a one-on-one -on -one relationship where they're providing you direct um, advice, uh, resources, ideas that you may or may not absorb and take. But you, you typically women do have mentors. Uh, one, two, three, five. I've had some fantastic men and women as mentors throughout my Thank career. You. 
where uh, what we don't typically seek out are sponsors. And sponsors, this isn't like corporate sponsorship on the back of a you know 5K run t-shirt. This is <laughs> a human being that's going to advocate on your behalf in your organization or company when you're not in the room. So that's somebody who's going to say, boy, you know, I'm on the golf course with our CFO and I'm going to say that Mary is fantastic and we got to make sure she is VP quality and we got to do all we can to get her on that leadership track when she's not there and not present. Um, and men tend to have those in spades, right. uh, people who are saying, Brian's my guy and I'm going to make sure he makes partner in the law firm, but we don't see women seeking out. We also don't see women serving enough as sponsors of other right. women. And so right. we've got a lot of work to do on that level, but just helping women to understand that you need both. You don't just need mentors. You don't just need a, a strong uh, outlook contact list. Um, you also need active sponsors in your life that are going to advocate on your behalf. That's such important information, I think, for our audience. I think um, that concept of sponsorship is not um, widely known, I think, right among women. And, and to your point, certainly not widely practiced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things like you don't, you don't think about it when you're in your career. I mean, I've been lucky enough and I'm sure you have as well of, of having some people who really saw that I had potential for things, um, at various stages of my career. But if you're not also, um, strong enough to be able to have your power pose and your confidence to be able to, unfortunately, too often women tend to just think, you know, we're taught at a young age to be good girls and be quiet. Right and helpful. And so we, we have this tendency to keep our heads down and just keep plugging away on our laptops and hope somebody notices our good work rather than shouting it from the rooftop. And so some of this is learning how to brag better on an individual level, but also being very intentional at how we build out that network. So we have stronger advocates on our behalf. And that's just, that's a concept we all need to embrace. And I think something a lot of your alumni, I'm sure, uh, will want to continue to embrace too. So agree, right? What, um, and it's funny that you say that, right? As values-based organizations, right? That are, that are, were founded as social organizations primarily. Um, how do, how do the words, um, brave, bold, and kind strike you in terms of Tri-Delta defining sort of how we show up in the world? Yeah. Um, one, um, I, I love brave and bold because we, I'm raising an 11 and a half year old daughter who, when I came to AUW from Brookings, didn't even understand why AUW exists. You know, she's still of that level of confidence where she's like, what are you talking about, mom? Girls and women can do anything. This is dumb. Why does this even need it? And then as she's heard me speak around the country and seen some of our work, oh, it's not as easy as all that. And it might get harder for me in life. Um, but we have to be bold and we're stronger when we, we come out together too, that it's not just, um, you know, there's a lot of work around the power of 30% and that this isn't just a tokenism of having one woman in a leadership role or one woman on a board. But when you get to that power of three, right. uh, that you, it really starts to change things. And so I think um, the being brave and being bold, and then particularly, I want to just touch on the word kind, because it can be a double-edged sword for women that we're, we smile too much and we might be too kind. I would argue the latter, though, that is, uh, we, we, we are better off as a society. We're in a, in a vitriolic um, 24-hour news cycle right now where nobody is kind. Uh, and I think where we learn some levels of grace and stronger active listening skills and meeting people where they are, uh, brave, bold, and kind will serve Tri-Delta for many years to come. Well, thank you for saying that, right? We, we feel the same. Um, 
we didn't, you know, it's, it's more than a tagline for us, right? While it's the way we've started articulating, you know, our presence in the world, it goes back to how we were founded um, in 1888 on a university campus um, where in the first edition of the Trident magazine, right, published in 1891, the editor writes about the fact that women are no longer considered an experiment in higher education, right, but an accepted fact. Yeah. So can you imagine, right? Oh, yeah. So right, um, when our organizations were founded, we were an experiment. Yeah. On we were not only an experiment, our first research project um, around the same time. So we were founded just a few years before you in 1881. And at the time there was a Harvard research report out that said that if women were working their brains towards a higher education degree, they wouldn't be fertile any longer and be unable to make babies. Uh, true cool. fact. This was oh. A lot of research report at the time, and one of our first reports debunked that because it turns out you can do both, (laughs) Uh, as we all know. Uh, And so it helps to break down that stigma of education is just for the boys and not for the gals. And um, we've really, we've seen those strides continue. I'm really proud of the fact that today you and I are sitting here at a time when women are earning more degrees at every single level, at at an AA level for community colleges bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and doctoral degrees, and we've been more than 50% for some time. So we are the majority on our campuses, which is pretty extraordinary considering both of our roots. Right, and where we started, right? So what we saw, right, our two two founders were seniors when they founded this organization. They didn't find a fit, right, with the other organizations on campus. Um, But what we found is that all of those organizations were founded by women who were brilliant, right? So almost, they had to almost overachieve, right? To just prove their worth to be there. They were classic scholars. I mean, one of our founders went on to be a physician, right? Um, In the 1890s. Um, These were women that today, you know, we'd be calling them, you know, trailblazers and glass ceiling breakers and innovators, right? You know, we call them founders, right? Um, and, And somewhat underplay, I think, the, the jumpstart that they gave well, us. the audacity that they had. And you have to use that word to be okay with it. You know, yeah. uh, our archivist here said, you know, we had 17 women that founded our organization. Yeah. And she said, and I, I'm sorry for the word, uh, you can cut it out later if you'd like, but she said, they were <laughs> badass. They were just simply yes. badass. That yes. They weren't willing to accept the status quo. And I think we also... We can all be a little too comfortable or timid today. And I think we need a little bit more audacity in in demanding our place at the table, demanding our place uh, in in leadership seats in every part of our society and understanding our value and worth and not having to be always overachieving more than the men, but meeting them right where they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kim, I am so glad to have made your acquaintance um, and so proud of the work that AAUW and Tri-Delta have begun that will continue. Um, To me, it is game-changing work um, that will help you reach your 10 million um, person goal, right? And will really help Tri-Delta um, achieve our goals around elevating our brand as a premier women's organization and making sure our members understand that, um, yes, your, your four to six um, years in college um, are amazing, but it's the lifetime membership, those friendships, the networking, the mentorship, the sponsorship, right, um, that is where the true value is um, of, of membership in Tri-Delta. 
Um, and you're a, you know, you're, you're a family and this is family doesn't end right when you graduate. And I think that idea of, I, I really applaud uh, Tri-Delta for really thinking about this, of being with women from when they're freshmen all the way through to retirement, because that's what this is. It's a family and you're building out a stronger network for you. That'll help you in your community, uh, in your educational settings, in, in the workplace and beyond. And, and it's really extraordinary. And I think we're going to achieve a lot together. So real quickly, before we wrap up, how can our listeners learn more about the work of AAEW? Sure. So easily, we've got three different areas that we really focus on in AEW. And one is education and training, making sure we're allowing women to be as prepared as possible for uh, the workforce of the 21st century. The second big area is economic security. So that's a lot of the work we've been talking around, around the pay gap, around uh, sexual harassment uh, in the workplace, um, and retirement security. And then the third is leadership. And I really don't think you can look at any one of them um, holistically on its own. You have to really look at it as a Venn diagram. All three really go together if we're going to make the kind of strides in our society that we all deserve for ourselves, for our daughters, our nieces, and our sisters. Uh, and, and so to, to learn more about our work, both our research um, as well as our advocacy and educational programs, just visit aauw.org. And we've got a whole different ways of getting involved, including how to advocate in just two minutes or less uh, with engaging with your own elected officials and, and where you sit and live. So we'd, we'd love to have uh, more Tri-Deltas joining us in this effort. That is awesome. I will tell you, count on us. We are all in to change the world with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Friends, that's our show. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Tri-Delta. Very special thanks to our dynamic guest today, CEO of the American Association of University Women, Kim Churches. Again, to learn more about the important work of AAUW, visit aauw.org. And to learn more about Tri-Delta's Life After College series, log on to tridelta.org, go to the resource library, and you'll find all the information you need. Know that we'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas for our podcast or questions, please email us at podcast at tridelta.eo.org. And be sure to give us a rating, like, and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Thank you for talking Tri-Delta with us today. Join us next time and bring you.